research first. Do your mm -hmm. research. Do not jump into something without a deep dive into something that you have interest in. Now, a lot of times these interests come from things that happen to you, and that's great. But before you go diving into things, like a perfect example, I was competing with virtual private networks. So mm -hmm. virtual private was a much better play because they were making money, right? Mm -hmm. They could sell this virtual, and I was free. And I was stuck in this browser world, which was free. I couldn't figure out how to make any money. So as I say, do your research before you do anything. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that has built several businesses or startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And if you ever need help with patents and trademarks, just go to strategymeeting.com and grab some time with us to talk about them. Now, today on the podcast, we have another great guest, Jeff, and I'm probably going to mess up his last name, Burnament. Is that close? Vermant. It's close. Vermant. All right. I was, I was kind of close. Yeah. Um, but Jeff is a quick introduction. So he started, uh, or he was a, a tennis player or, ten, or got a tennis scholarship, I think, to USC and went, even went on the pro circuit for a, a short period of time. And then after uh, going on the pro circuit for a bit, he went to uh, teaching tennis for a period of time and then decided, hey, I've had enough with tennis. I'm not going to probably make that as a, a whole life of it and went into the real estate industry for a, a quite a bit of time and did that and built it up and then decided, okay, I've had enough with the real estate industry. Now I'm going over the tech industry. And so I moved over the tech industry, weaved his way through it a bit. And that's where he brings us to what he's doing today that we'll chat a bit more about in the podcast. So as that much as an introduction, welcome on to the podcast, Jeff. Thanks, Devin. I want to clear something up. At USC, I was the greatest bench sitter of all time. <laughs> hey, if they're if they'll give you a scholarship to fence sit, I want that scholarship. So I, I take it as I'll take it wherever you can get it. It is pretty funny, you know. You go there at USC, and you're going to you know one of the best schools for t you know universities for tennis teams, mm. and you end up you're nationally ranked, and you end up sitting on the bench the whole time. I I, I really considered transferring. But I love Southern California so much. It was like, you know, it's I'm one of the 33 million that mm -hmm. came from back east and sat himself down. And it was like, no, nah, I'm not going anywhere. And here I am <laughs> some later still here. And, and yeah, the rest of California is still asking me to go home. But, uh, you know, go back to New York, you know, wherever you came from, you're just a pain. But uh, hey, got I'm happy to be here. That's happy right. To see you again. And uh, happy to be on your show. So thanks. Well, thank you. We're excited to have you on. So with that correction, you were still got a ten, but you still got a tennis scholarship, right? So I was technically yeah. correct. Yeah. So you played tennis for a period of time or at least fence it, but was on a scholarship to USC, but maybe walk us through. So you're coming up, you're finishing your, or finishing up schooling and you went to a pro circuit for a little bit, right? In a year of the pro circuit, I probably made about $17,000, but really most of my money was made um, selling tennis rackets as I was going along or whatever I could barter. So mm. when I went for my first job interview at Cobalt Banker, which was a big real estate company at the time, the brokerage mm. company, uh, they said, well, what kind of sales experience did you have? And I said, well, not really anything, but for a year, I just had to figure out how I was going to make a living with not making much money on the tennis circuit. And I was buying and selling things. And I said, well, we're kind of interested in you then. <laughs> so I'm not sure it was just for my sit my sales skill, 
Uh, but, you know, I got, a, I got to work for one of the best at the time, one of the best companies. And even there, I actually came up with some innovative ideas for the company. And I'm mm. kind of proud. I launched some things as, a, as a, a, a guy who just walked in the door, came up with a great idea for Coal Banker. And then, mm. of course, I, I went into sales and I worked for uh, Tom Selleck's uh, dad, Bob Selleck, yeah. which was a, a really great experience. And I learned a lot from him. And then decided uh, I wanted to be a real estate developer, which is a fairly natural thing from people who want to be um, want to be in the real estate business to become developers or operators of, of office buildings and other things. And did that mm-hmm. for twenty five or thirty years, and then, as you mentioned, I decided I was very much annoyed. I'm one of these self do it guys where I'll go do it myself. And I was very annoyed at the internet where I was getting these emails from people I didn't know. They were, you know, asking me silly questions. I was getting viruses, malware. And I thought, well, maybe I should jump in and see if I could do something better. And that kind of led to a full career the last 10 years of working in the tech industry. And I finally learned some of the the acronyms, which Mm -hmm. I never could figure out, but now I understand a few of them. And Mm -hmm. here I am. And I think we're, I think I'm being blessed into a great space, um, something new and innovative. And I came out of a really, I, I guess I was somewhat before my time in the privacy mode. Hmm. So no, and I, I think that's an interesting journey. So maybe hitting on a couple things. So you, you mentioned diving back just a bit into your story. So you're doing tennis, you, you know, you had to figure out how to do sale, you know, to support yourself as you were pursuing the tennis career. And then you got into real estate. So how was that transition from going from kind of athlete athletics and, and, you know, and competing to real estate? Was it, you know, different jungle, same kind of game where, Hey, it's still a competitive marketplace and you're going to real estate or was it a different transition or how did you kind of manage to go from tennis to real estate? And how was that transition for you? So the, the thing you should know is my feet hurt. When I yeah. got into shoes, because I never wore shoes before. I wore tennis shoes all the time, right? Mm. All I did was play tennis and, and go, to, go to classes. Um, so that was the first thing I recognized was, oh, this hurts. Because <laughs> wearing <laughs> shoes, I was not used to. And mm. so um, that was one of the experiences. But, you know, it's interesting. You, you bring your skill set, which is tenaciousness, um creative because you got to be creative on a tennis court you got to mm. figure out what the guy what his strengths and weaknesses are and you got to do that quickly uh you have to stay at it it's you know a tenacious thing so it was relatively the same the i think the biggest problem i had was asking for orders you know mm. i could sell you something but then you have to finish up with going hey well you know do you want to sign a listing with me or can we get that lease signed that was a kind of a hard transaction because in mm. in the, in the athletic world you don't ask for the you know the order. Mm. So that's the thing that uh, I can give you a quick story. So when when I went to work for Cole Banker and I finally got I was a I had a training session for a year at the main office and then I worked for Bob Selleck and I was so proud of myself because I had just gotten my first listing and Bob said uh, he says oh you got the listing and I said yes and. I got a 5% commission. And he said, no, you, you're supposed to get a 6% of the first sum of money and then 5% thereafter. Didn't you get that? I said, no. Did he said, you asked for it? And I said, no, I just didn't. It's another 2,500 bucks. It wasn't a big deal. He made me on a Friday 
go down to, it was like two hours away, El Segundo, in the middle of a traffic day, go knock on this guy's door and, uh, and kind of apologize and say, you know, I didn't ask you for the full amount. And the guy said, God, all you had to do is ask me for it. I would have given it to you. <laughs> <laughs> All you have to do is ask, but if you never ask, you're never going to get it. So that is a funny story, but and it, it kind of, and I, I like the kind of you're saying there is, I think, transferable skill sets across a lot of different types of, you know, industries. And, you know, too often we kind of tell ourselves, oh, I've been doing this for, for X amount of time and this is all I know. And so you never really let yourself say, but how can I reuse these same skills that are equally applicable in other industries? So I like how taking it minus the ability to, or learning how to close and how to ask for the, the full amount and kind of, are still in the deal at least uh, the tenacity and going out and getting the deals and figuring that out was interesting so now we'll keep going to the story you already told uh so you did real estate for a period of time and then you said okay i hate technology or technology doesn't work how i think it should so how is that again that transition from going from what would be real estate over to a, a tech industry and making that pivot so it, it's been it's actually been much harder than going from being an athlete to real estate, this is a much harder transition and um, it's difficult in the sense is difficult. There, I'll tell you what's in common and I'll tell you what's different. Mm. So all the acronyms are different. All mm. the speak is different. I don't know how to code anything. Mm. So you're kind of living in a world where you don't understand a lot. And mm. I would say the first three or four years when I was in the business, I clearly didn't understand a lot of stuff. I mean, today, I, you know, today's a lot different, but back then I certainly was at a loss. I mean, I could barely turn on my computer. My son had to come over and go, here, dad, let me push the button for you. And I was mm. like, what? <laughs> you know, so that was, that was a struggle. And I made a lot of mistakes, mm. which, you know, if you can recover from your mistakes, um, you're good. You need to admit where you make mistakes. And I'm readily able to do that and say, okay, well, just don't make that same mistake twice. That's mm. kind of my rule of thumb. You make it one time and hopefully you don't make it again. But it no, is I, a lot harder. No, and that's interesting. And it's interesting the difference. So some skills are more easily transferable, and some take or take more work to come up to speed on. Because I think it's interesting that dichotomy of hey, I went from tennis to real estate, and that was a other than or, you know figuring out to ask for the money and the final close. It was a much more easy one to jump into, and yet when you go to the technology, it's a different skill set, and you had to say, hey, some of these are transferable and some of these aren't, and that uh, that dichotomy. But none, so nonetheless, you made the jump now to the uh, tech industry, and I think you did that when we talked a little bit before the podcast about eleven years ago or so. Is that right? That's about right. So I have the longest startup ever existed, probably. <laughs> Uh, I hate to admit that, but that's true. But that's part of the tenacity. Now, mm. my skill set was sales. Mm. So I knew how to sell something. And, and honestly, you know, I won't mm. sell you something I don't believe in. I'm not, mm. I'm not that kind of salesman. And that's mm. what was hard for me at the beginning was to try and sell something that I didn't believe in. And I could never do that. Mm. That was one. And the other thing I brought to the table was financial skills. So I understood how to do an Excel. I don't, I can't do Excel, but I understand totally. I understand very complicated computations in real estate, like IRR returns, all types of very fancy types of things. I understand mortgages and a lot of the technology in real estate I understood. I could bring that to the market, but what I couldn't anticipate, which is where you kind of fall down, was I hadn't really made a plan of how I was going to make money. 
I came up with this great idea of how I was going to make a great browser better than anybody else made. Mm. But I had forgotten probably the most important ingredient was, well, wait, how are we going to sustain ourselves? And I had to keep moving around, pivoting, 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 pivoting. I finally, after seven or eight years, I was about to throw in the towel because there really, you, you build a browser, there really isn't a way, I, I think maybe Brave has figured it out, but mm. on the most part, you don't make money off of your browsers. You make money other ways, but your browser is not one of them. And mm. it took me a long time to figure out that my, my browser, the way I had designed it, was not going to make me any money. And mm. you get, as much as you'd love to like say, well, I just love what I, I built. It's really hard then to give it to the world and not have something to keep it up and running. Hmm. You need some money to, otherwise it was just a great idea and nobody would back you. The, the investors didn't like the space I was in. They didn't like you going up against Google, which is Chrome or going up against any of those guys. And they all remembered, you know, seven or eight years ago, they still remember the internet wars or they are the, I should say the browser wars. Hmm. And that soured a lot of investors like, well, I like your idea, but I don't want anything to do with you. <laughs> and that is a hard one. But I think it's a good one to learn from is, you know, you can have a really great product, but if you don't have a path, you also have to have a path to monetize it. Otherwise, it's always just a passion project or something that you do as a hobby, but you're not going to be able to support yourself off of it and vice versa. So I think that that's, you know, a good cardinal rule to learn. So as you made that realization and saying, okay, you know, I can make the world's best browser, but, you know, and probably my guess is it'd be hard because Chrome comes for free or at least, you know, for free in the sense you don't have to pay for it. Same thing with Internet Explorer and all the, you know, all the other ones. And so it's going to be hard for people to say, I'll pay for a browser when I'm used to getting it for free. And so, you know, as you kind of come to that realization, how did you pivot or adjust or what did you do to say, okay, we have to make money. We have to support ourselves. What are we going to do to make this profitable? Kind of how did you make that transition or pivot? Yeah, so that was, that was the lights on aha. And I would tell anybody who's an entrepreneur that if you're even about to give up, if you have an idea, uh, you know, try and work through it. And sorry, one of the phones are ringing, but just ignore it. Um, Try and work through that idea before you throw in the towel. And that was, I'll tell you, that's exactly where I was. I still have mm. a wife at home telling me you should quit when I know we're very close to a very successful idea. So what happened was I had the browser in place and I was to the point of shutting it down and saying, I just can't figure out. And, you know, here's the thing. All of your, and I want entrepreneurs to know this, you cannot take whatever your consultants or your employees are telling you, mm. you really should not listen to them mm. because they have their own self-interest. Mm. And so if they say, well, just do this for a little bit more time or do that, that doesn't make it going to be a success. It could very well make it that they're just going to get paid. And so you have to be very careful about third parties telling you how you're going to make money without you without you doing the research yourself and saying aha that makes sense and maybe i can do that because for years people told me that cocoon browser don't worry let's do this let's do that none of those things worked and you know literally spent millions of dollars really learning a lesson well, luckily i could afford it but, but mm. learning a lesson so when it came to cocoon uh, I was just about to shut down and I said to my son, I was talking to him telling, you know, I think I need to shut this down. It's not making any sense. 
And he said, well, you know, dad, have you ever thought about people's data itself? And mm. I was going like, no, what are you driving at? He said, well, you know, that's valuable and nobody's getting paid for it. Why mm. don't you, if you know how to build a browser, why don't you build a browser that allows people to get paid? And I was like, oh my God, what a sensational idea. And of course I jumped on it and got into the research and then there's lots of pitfalls in it, by the way. No, there's nothing that's perfect in these things. And mm. so there's still pitfalls in it. But the idea and the concept, which seemingly is working, is allow people to, to become more of a democracy over your uh, internet and allow the people, the people to profit off of their own work. Mm. So what's happening right now is all the big companies, Google, Twitter, Chrome, all these companies, oh, Chrome's part of Google, they're kind of fooling you. They're saying you get to use our browser for free, but we're collecting billions of dollars between mm. search and your browser and data that's collected on you. You know, you ever see your Google thing say, oh, it's 15 minutes to work, where well, they're collecting that data as well. And so mm. that data is being sold or used to get advertisers to advertise to you. So what's really happening is you are the you, the user, are the product. Mm. Right. And I realized that what well, well, that doesn't seem fair to me. What seems fair to me is the user should get part of the profit. Could I make that work? And so my, my math skills, of course, and I sat down and went, well, wait, I think I could make that work. Hmm. And so that became my next passion, which is it's kind of odd. You go from privacy, which I'm a huge fan of, to something that says, eh, you know, I don't know if there's that much privacy left in the world anyway why don't we sell our data and get paid for it? Mm. Right? It's a real dichotomy to be going from, from privacy to, well, let's get paid. If, if, because you have to realize there really isn't a lot of privacy left. Mm. And, and no matter what the government does, companies are going to find their way around those things. Uh, because, and the reason why it's never going to go away is because the internet is built on free. But mm. free is not free. Free is somebody's, taking that data and monetizing it. So the minute the government says you can't do that anymore, the minute I would say you're paying for everything on the internet. No, and I think that that, I think that's a fair point. It's kind of, it goes back to the old saying or adage or wherever it comes from. And I don't know remember it is, you know, if, you know, if you don't know who's, if you don't know who's paying for it, you're the product type of a thing, right? In the yeah. sense that, you know, so I, I think that there's a, I think it's an interesting, that you, you know, you have that kind of aha moment of, hey, we're already, you know, we're getting monitored, so to speak, your privacy is, is going by the wayside. And, you know, as a side note, it's interesting how quickly that happened in the sense, right? You know, for a long time, people cherish their privacy and then it comes out, hey, if you'll give me a free browser, if you'll give me a free subscription, people are more than willing to give up some of that data and that privacy. But hey, you're saying if that's already the place that people have decided they want to go and that what they're willing to accept, then let's at least see how we can make that so it, you receiving compensation for giving up that data. So I think yeah, that well, certainly makes sense. What, what was sad to me, I'm, I've always been a small business owner and even in my real estate career where we did really well. But I've always believed, you know, that the, I'll say the guy who, no, not the big corporations, and I never want my company to act like this. I know investors will hammer me, but I have a real defense, which is if my customers don't profit, we don't profit, which makes this a much easier thing to really have a great company because it's not you versus you know, your user, it's you maybe versus selling data or something of that nature. But what I realized was 
we've all been sort of taken. We didn't really realize, I would tell you, most people until 10 years ago didn't realize that they were mm. trading their privacy in mm. for the free internet. They were the mm. product and they were never told that. No one ever, that was kind of a, a well, this is like, it reminds me of the, of the uh, drug thing that went on mm. in, in cycling. Mm. No one knew this was going on for years and years. There was suspicion. There was all these, you know, maybes until Lance finally admitted it. I mean, Lance Armstrong admitted that, yeah, he was doing drugs. And it's the same thing with the internet, in my opinion. None of these people really wanted to admit that they were taking, they were giving you something free, which wasn't free, hmm. uh, and taking all that data and using it, and you didn't realize it. Most, a lot of people still don't realize that that's what's going on. No yeah, no, and it'd be interesting because I, you know, I tend to agree in the sense that, you know, even people that think, okay, you know, social media or social media platforms, Facebook or whichever one you want to choose, they probably don't realize how much, you know, unless you were to become a marketing and advertising, go the back end and, and be on the business side, how much data they collect and how targeted they can get the ads and how they can actually put that as a platform. So the ads that are popping up to you aren't popping up to everyone. They're popping up to a specific subset that's being targeted. So I certainly, you know, agree with you. And it's interesting how, how that is adjusted and how that's shifted over time. Well, as we, you know, so now you've, you've, you've come to the conclusion that, hey, this is where we're going to pivot. This is where we're going to make a profit and we're going to make a pro, you know, we're going to take the company. So now where's the next five to 10 years take you or not five to 10 years, six to 12 months. Kind of where do you see how now, how do you continue to pivot and evolve and bring that to the marketplace? So we started this. This is kind of a great story. We started down the line of the desktop and mm. we're still being guided by consultants telling us this and that. And it turns out that what we thought we were going to get paid, they didn't pay us for our customers. And this is not about me. I don't get paid unless my customers get well paid. And so we've had this problem on desktop. We're honestly, I want to be honest with people. We hmm. couldn't make a lot of money on it. I think that dynamic will change as we grow. And as, as if, if this works and people say, sure, I'll accept a couple bucks to start. And hopefully in a year it will, it will double or triple. Hmm. Um, and you'll find that all the companies are in the space. I think I'm unique in one way, and I'll explain that in a minute, versus some of the competition. Um, so you, that's the one problem that you really have. But mm. if you have multiple buyers soon enough, uh, or you find the right formula, I think we can pay people enough money to get them interested and to grow it. And the more we grow it, mm. the more money we end up making for you. Because the more buyers that want to buy that data, they don't really care who you are. They're, mm. they're not even interested in you. They're more interested in your profile, so to speak. Mm. Uh, they care about your name and address. And in fact, a lot of times your your email addresses are hashed, meaning mm. that the, that the if they sell your email, they don't sell the just the open. They hash it so somebody has to go figure it out and match it up. Mm. Now I can tell you, a computer can probably do that, but they don't. They don't outrightly sell those. And some companies, I guess, do, but we don't. Hmm. And so um, the idea here is to, the next six to 12 months, is, is to build the, the base. Um, we're going to focus in on people who are commuters, uh, truck drivers, and um, um, Uber drivers and Lyft. Hmm. Because the miles it turns out that the miles they drive are very valuable 
And like a truck driver could be making at the, in the first year, 15 to $25 a month. Hmm. And that could grow substantially if he throws in his browsing time. Um, and hopefully we'll have some other things. You want to sell a profile, you can. Um, so this is, will turn into, in my prediction, two to three years, you turn into a 40 or $50 a month uh, opportunity for people to make some money off of their own data. Hmm. And that's where I see the vision. The vision is the democracy of you deciding what you want to do with your data. That's the mm. first thing that you get to do. If you want to just give it away for, first of all, if you want to make it really private, go buy yourself a VPN. That's the mm -hmm. only real solution I can, a uh, virtual private network. It's a real solution I can think of and have it on your phone, have it on all your devices. So it hides your IP address all the time. Mm. Uh, on your phone, that's a little different problem because they have your ID on your phone and they can track you on your phone. If you have all those apps, by the way, I, I hate to tell people, but half of those apps you have on your phone, you mm. know why they're free? They're taking your data and they're sending it somewhere. Mm. Uh, Shazam's a perfect example of a company that's free and that data is getting sent and being sold to someone. Mm. So really there is no privacy left. I hate to give bad news to people, but it's the truth. No, and I, I think that they're, you know, facing reality and understanding it, at, le at least then you're able to say, are, am I wanting to do, sell this? And if I'm going to sell this or if I'm going to be the product, let's make, as you said, some compensation for it. You can, well, yeah, and you can ignore the whole thing if you want and just pretend you have all the privacy you in the world because you don't know any better, but you'll see those ads that are attributable to the things you're looking at. So as long as you want to ignore all that, you know, you can be an oblivious and you can do it. <laughs> well, so as we, and there are plenty of things that we can continue and lots of good rabbit holes and tangents, but as we start to wrap up the podcast and uh, get towards the end of it, I always, I always ask two questions. So let, why don't we jump to those now? So the first question I always ask is along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? Hmm. Um, well, I've had a lot of, bad experiences in the business and i would say i would say on the most part just in general listen mm. to consultants because they don't necessarily have your best in mind mm. and so you've got to be very careful about consultants who you hire that tell you a great story and then don't deliver or it doesn't just work out mm. no i think that makes sense that's and a I, real I pitfall no, and I think that too often you hire, you know, I'll hire a consultant, it'll solve, solve all of my problems. And yet the consultants are, are there to make money. They are there to get an income. And sometimes while, you know, that what they propose may not always be in your best interest, or they may not know your business or those things well enough. So I think that that's certainly some good wisdom. Second question I always ask is, so if you're talking to someone that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Research first. Do your research. Do not jump into something without a deep dive into something that you have interest in. Now, a lot of times these interests come from things that happen to you, and that's great. But before you go diving into things, like a perfect example, I was competing with virtual private networks. So mm. virtual private was a much better play because they were making money, right? Mm. They could sell this virtual, and I was free. And I was stuck in this browser world, which was free, and couldn't figure out how to make any money. So as I say, do your research before you do anything. 
No, I think, and I think that's great advice in the sense of, you know, too often you have a you have an exciting idea or something that you think will work out well. You don't you don't fully understand the marketplace or all the ins and outs or how you're going to make money or monetize it or how you're going to take it to market or how you're going to compete with people. And so you don't you know you just get excited with the idea and yet doing the research can one either better prepare you to dive into the business or avoid avoid the pitfalls of not diving into a business that you're not going to be able to compete or be successful. And so I think that's both great pieces of advice. Well, as people want to reach out to you, they want to be a user, they want to be a customer of your product, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to connect up with you or find out more? So if you want to be an investor, contact me directly. That's the best thing to do. And I'm Jeff. I'm at My email is jeff at the, like in Victor, world, W-O-R-L-D-C.com. We do have a crowdfunding page. So you want to put in a hundred bucks just to give it a whirl you could i you know i'm not allowed to recommend or not recommend in a sense but i can tell you you have a very tenacious hardworking, honest a guy i think we're going to this is going just going to be a great um field for us and then the second thing is if you want to try the product unfortunately we, we don't have uh, ios yet we have mm-hmm. android so you can go to the Android store or you could go to our website, which is trycocoon, uh, trycocoon.com. Mm. And you'll see the product that's for sale. I mean, the product that will make you money. Download that on your Android at the Play Store and go after it. And you'll see it's not going to make you a ton of money to start, but stay with mm. us. And we'll, we'll eventually figure that all out. And our goal is to make you a lot of money. Uh, and the, the third way is uh, is you can download our desktop, which is both for um, iOS or for uh, Mac and and Windows. So you have your choice of a desktop or the Android. All right. Well, I definitely encourage whether you're an investor or want to try out the product and you have an Android phone or any or all of the above to reach out, find out more about Jeff and his uh, and his product and all that he has going on. And definitely uh, or something that's exciting to is exciting to watch as it continues to evolve. Well, Jeff, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you listeners that are wanting to uh, come on and tell your journey and uh, share your story, feel free to apply to be on the podcast by going to inventivejourneyguest.com. If you're a listener, make sure to uh, click subscribe so you get notifications as all the new episodes come out. And last but not least, if you uh, ever need help with patents or trademarks, feel free to, to reach out to us at Miller IP Law by going to uh, strategymeeting.com, and we're always here to help. Thank you again, Jeff. It's been a pleasure and fun to have you on and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thank you very much, Devin. I enjoyed being here with you. All right.